It is such an honor to be in. This feels like Disneyland to me. Like, I haven't been in this building. I heard there's a carousel. I am just every hallway, there's more rooms and more signs and more people. And it is fascinating, the history here. And so it is, it is truly, truly, truly an honor um, to be in your presence and to be in the presence of the Lord. Uh, you can be seated. I'm going to call up two. Uh, I brought two of our USM students. So I'll tell you a little bit about our church and our history and introduce you to me. But I love these young guns. I love running with young, young, fiery, passionate Jesus lovers. And I think God is doing something significant in Gen Z and millennials. Uh, I have great hope for them. I'm gonna show you, we were just in Southern California in Los Angeles at Angeles Temples, Amy Simple McPherson's church that she built decades ago. And we just gathered, uh, I think it was 5,000 Gen Zers. We worshiped Jesus from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. Imagine the body of Christ on Red Bull for 12 hours. That's what it felt like. I was, I was exhausted after hour four, but they did not quit. And I'm going to show you some videos and share some testimonies. But I want to invite two of our students up just to minister for about three to four minutes. I think they have some words of knowledge, just ways that I think they can encourage you and pray for you. So Jehoshaphat, come on up here. This is my man, Jehoshaphat. We all needed a Jehoshaphat in our life. And then Johnny, come up. So Jehoshaphat's actually my assistant, which when your assistant's name's Jehoshaphat, you get instant cred that God would favor you with Jehoshaphat. But I just asked them to pray and then to fire their gun. So just say, Lord, I'm your target. And may they uh, bless you guys. So Jehoshaphat. Come on. Jesus, before I pray for all of us, um, specifically when we were in the hotel, the Lord told me tonight he wanted to heal headaches, chronic headaches, and he wanted to heal restlessness in this room. So if you're dealing with that, I just want you to raise your hand. Headaches and restlessness. <laughs> He's so intentional. He's so intentional. If you're around them, do you mind just placing your hand on them? It says in Mark 6, 56, that everywhere that he went, every town, every place, he healed everyone that was touched by the hand of God. There was healing for everyone. So come on, just start praying for them. Father, in the name of Jesus and by the authority we have, by the blood of the Lamb, I ask you right now, God, that you would mark these lives. Their inheritance is to be healed and touched by the power of God. So right now, I declare chronic headaches and migraines to be rotted away by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I declare that restlessness, anxiety, and deep, just anxiety in the middle of the night, I cast you out by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Lord rebuke you, you're whole because of the body that was broken and the blood that was shed. That gives you authority and confidence to enter. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. I just want to pray this over this place. As we were uh, flying into Oklahoma, I used to live in Oklahoma for a little bit. I was in the Army artillery, so I used to live in Lawton. Anyone know Lawton? All right, awesome. I thought everyone was going to be like, no, 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 I don't. <laughs> Come on, come on. I wanted to pray this real quick. I was seeing the Lord and his favor and his delight over you guys as, as we were landing here. And as we were looking, Johnny and I were looking out of our hotel room, I felt the Lord's delight in this place, delight in Tulsa, delight saying, I call this place my home. I have memories here. That's exciting, guys. 
For the Spirit of God sake, I have memories in this place. I see my footprints in this place. The fragrance of God is in this place. And while we were there and I'm walking in, I'm seeing so many pictures on the wall. I love pictures on the wall. That, it's like my favorite. When the green room, and when you walk around, you see these pictures in history with God. And I'm reminded to the one thing, this is my prayer almost every day, but I'm obsessed with this. The one thing, Psalm 132 says, remember, O Lord, on David's behalf, all of his afflictions, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. Surely I will not enter my house nor lie on my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for God, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. And immediately in my heart and in my mind, I remember, Lord, remember Victory Church. Every affliction and every cry that they've had throughout the years, God. But they won't stop until they build you a resting place. And I'm here to remind you there's a vow and a covenant in your heart that moved the heart of God. It shook the heart of God. When you made covenant, Lord, it's about you and your presence resting in Tulsa. We won't rest until it happens. And I feel like God wants to restore that covenant and God wants to just breathe life into that again. So if you can with me, if you feel that, stand up with me. Come on, there's a declaration that Lord, remember, remember the promise you spoke over this land. I won't rest, God. Come on, pray with me. I won't rest, God, until this place, Tulsa, Oklahoma, will be known, Victory Church, as a resting place for the Spirit of God to come in, Lord. Then it would be a hub for the nations to come in and say, God is there. Lord, we thank you for your presence. Your leadership is perfect. Lord, I ask you for the next 48 hours that it wouldn't be a prayer topic or a prayer request. That would be the focus, but it would be a man with eyes of fire, the man Yeshua. Mark us again, God. We need it. I'll be the first one to say I'm desperate in need of God. Let us be needy again. In Jesus' name. I think, I think we may have a preacher on our hands with Jehoshaphat. So this is Johnny. Johnny's a second-year student. And our second-year students have actually been experiencing a really unique um, season in the Lord. Uh, I, I don't know of any other way to describe it, but the fear of the Lord and deep repentance and brokenness and even travail prayer, which is a new expression in our world. Um, it's just been really palpable. And, uh, and so I wanted him just to share and pray for us a little bit. He's from Southern California, part of the Texas. Yeah. I think throughout our class, there's just been a realization of, I feel like it's really easy in the church setting to always feel like we're the ones that are pursuing God. But in our class, there's just been a really, really strong awareness of how much God pursues us. And I think that when, when something like that grips your heart, when if you think about it, the God of the universe per, is pursuing us and is pursuing us with a fire and a zeal that we cannot comprehend, it, it just causes something in you to burn. And I felt like God is calling us, I mean, as the bride, as the church, into a new awareness of his pursuit of us. And I actually wanted to read Song of Songs. 
end. Song of Songs 2, 14. This is God speaking to the church. And he says, My dove in the clefts of the rock, in the hiding places on the mountainside, show me your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. God, I just thank you that in the measure that we pursue you, God, you pursue us 10,000 times fold. God, that in our darkest hour, Lord, you were consistently pursuing us, Lord. And even at my best, God, even when I feel like I'm on my best behavior, when I feel like I'm so good with you, Lord, you are pursuing me infinitely more than I could ever imagine, God. So I just pray for revelation of your love, God, and your zeal, Lord. I just thank you, Lord, that you're going to touch hearts, God. Mm. I just thank you, Lord, that you love us and that you're pursuing us. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Bless you, buddy. Thank you, guys. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you, guys. Again, it's such an honor to be with you and just to sense the history that's here. And... um, I, I uh, just sense the Lord's presence in this room, so tender and sweet. And uh, I, I love God's presence. I love the presence of Jesus. I, I grew up in a, in a more conservative uh, denomination. I was a Church of Christ kid, if you're familiar with the Churches of Christ, and I love my upbringing. Uh, but I, I didn't know about the person of the Holy Spirit. And um, I met, I met in, in desperation, I was struggling with depression and anxiety as a pastor. And someone took me to kind of an underground, speakeasy Church of Christ meeting. And we were desperate. And he gave me all these disclaimers. And I went into a room and someone revealed the secrets of my heart. Uh, things that had happened to me when I was 13, 14. And I... I left, I started weeping, and I left weeping, saying, God is really among you. And I was in seminary at the time, and I went, and I I thought, I think this is in the Bible somewhere. And I went, and I read 1 Corinthians 14. And it says, when the gift of prophecy is used, that the ungifted or unbelieving will exclaim or say, God's really among you. And uh, I thought, that happened to me tonight. And, and it began a journey just personally and intimately in understanding the role of the Holy Spirit in my life in knowing Jesus. And at that time, I, I thought the Holy Spirit was more uh, specifically in the realm of gifts and the way that he expressed himself through me. But over my journey um, in the Lord and the story that I'm going to tell you tonight, I've realized that, that the Holy Spirit is the presence of Jesus. (laughs) That the presence of Jesus is actually the presence of Jesus. (laughs) That Jesus said, it's better if I go away because I'm going to send another. And that other is him. And our response to him, our acknowledgement of him is our response to and acknowledge of Jesus. And if the presence of God is a central is, is, a, is a peripheral issue, then Jesus is actually a peripheral issue. And, and I have grown in uh, my 
I like to call myself a student of the presence of God. And, and I came a, into this journey pretty innocently because in, in 2010, I was at a crossroads in my life. I was actually, uh, you'll, you'll appreciate this story. I was actually planning on going to Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. And uh, my wife was gonna go into med school and, and she was gonna do prereqs and we had our, this plan lined out. And I, I was a pastor in Dallas for about 10 years at that time. And so we didn't tell a lot of people we were transitioning because it would have impacted a lot of people. And, and so it was about a month before this transition and we were gonna roll it out to our family, but we went to dinner with this woman one night. And uh, she said, I had this dream about you guys. We've never been to dinner with her before, haven't been to dinner with her since, didn't know her that well. But she said, last night I had a dream. And in the dream, I showed up at this restaurant before you and I opened up my Bible. And when you sat down, I read you this one verse. And we're like, okay, what's the verse? She goes, I don't think it's gonna make any sense to you, but it's out of uh, Amos chapter five, verse five. All right. And she said, it says this, seek Bethel and die, seek me and live. <laughs> and I we were like, she goes, I told you it would make no sense. We, we didn't even tell her. We never spoke of transitioning to Bethel Church in Redding, California. Um, and I love Bill and I love that church. It's impacted me deeply. But the Lord taught me a lesson that if you're about to step outside of his will, he will make sure <laughs> very clearly this is the way that you should go. And, and that was August of 2009, and in uh, January of 2010, uh, we had an invitation from a business owner to uh, start praying in an area in the city of Dallas that was described to me when I went down to this area as a church planting graveyard. And I didn't plan to plant a church in this area. I wouldn't have chosen this area. It was a homosexual uh, district of our city. The, the sidewalks, the, the crosswalks are rainbows. There's rainbows and rainbows everywhere. And um, it's just a really dark area. And he walked me to this back portion of his property. He was a veterinarian of all things. And above his clinic, he had a room that was probably three, 4,000 square feet. And he said, I felt from the Lord that I was to open it up for prayer and worship. And this person that introduced me to uh, this business owner, he said, I heard you have a heart for prayer and worship, which I did at the time. He said, would you be willing to meet here on Sunday nights in this room that we call the upper room? It was what he called it. So I didn't name our church. Our church got the name from this room. I would, for future church planners, don't name your church upper room. Like Pentecost rolls around every year and something better be happening on Pentecost if your church is named upper room, right? Just the inherited pressures. But um, we started praying uh, in this upper room at Pentecost, uh, I'm sorry, Passover 2010. And our plan was to go from Passover to Pentecost, which is a seven-week period. We're just going to host prayer, not going to tell a lot of people about it, but we wanted to be faithful to this assignment. We had some words about the upper room, and we just wanted to walk it out. And little did I know that the Lord was cornering me personally, that he was calling us into this place because he was ready to do something in me. How I many of you know the Lord, before he does something through you, he has to do something in you? And, uh, and I was ready to do something for the Lord. I was a preacher. I was a pastor. I had been uh, recruited by different churches. And we were, I was interviewing at churches after we didn't go to Bethel. I was like, okay, Lord, you must have me in Dallas. And so I had some opportunities. And I, I'm a visionary. I'm a strategist. I like to build things. I like to lead. I mean, I've got a resume and a history with this thing. And so I felt like I knew what I was doing. 
until I went to Oak Lawn. And in Oak Lawn, uh, I kept telling people, we're only meeting for seven weeks, we're only meeting for seven weeks, we're only meeting for seven weeks, but God started moving in these prayer meetings. Uh, we started just seeing some supernatural things happen. I, we haven't seen a deaf ear open since that seven weeks, but in that seven weeks, we saw two deaf ears open up. We saw communities start forming around this coffee shop that was across the street, and people kept saying, we can't wait to come to the prayer meeting on Sunday nights. So I said, it's only going to be seven weeks. It's only going to be seven weeks. And so Pentecost came, and we were going to end, and this spiritual father of mine named Truman, who uh, my, my youngest is actually named after Truman. Truman Spring, he's in his mid-70s now. He's a lawyer in town. He came up to me and he said, Michael, we believe in what God's doing here. And we believe in it so much that Jane and I, who had lived in Garland, which is a suburb of Dallas, we're going to move into this area to pray for it. And we want to build a culture of prayer in this room. And I said, that's a terrible idea. Like, it's seven weeks. What, what don't you understand about seven? Like, it's seven weeks. And he said, no, God's doing something, and you're supposed to lead it. And so I, I gave him this. I said, if you move down here, I'll commit to praying through the summer. And uh, Jane Spring is this intercessor that she had a prayer room, like, ministry in her living room at the time that no one came to. She, like, opened it up for a church, but no one showed up except Truman because he lived there. And... Uh, and so she's like, and you're going to adopt my prayer hours, Michael. You're going to need to come. And the prayers were 6 to 8 a.m. three days a week and 6 to 8 p.m. three days a week. And I'm not a morning person, and I could not, I never saw myself as an intercessor or a prayer guy. Like, I love the presence of God, but I, I, I've been to IHOP. I didn't get IHOP. I love IHOP now, but I appreciated their ministry, but I just didn't feel called to it. And so I went into the, the prayer school with, with, with Jane. And, uh, and it was excruciating. We decided that we were gonna move from prayer to actually having some services. And I'm like, great, I can preach. I can actually cast some vision. And here was the problem is that no one came. There were like a dozen people there. And the people in Oak Lawn were over the conversation around the Lord. Like, even if they did stumble into our meeting, they were offended by something we said, or they just weren't moved. And, and I was frustrated. And so my wife had this idea about halfway through the summer, if people are moving to Oak Lawn, we need to move into Oak Lawn. So I'm like, honey, no, this was supposed to be seven weeks through the summer. I don't know what you're doing. And so we end up moving to Oak Lawn because my wife is my wife. And, uh, and so we moved September of 2010. We moved down there. And uh, the first weekend we're there, we found this awesome little brunch place to eat. And uh, it was Sunday morning. We would meet on Sunday nights. That was our main service. And we had gone to this, this brunch spot. And uh, we had, we had uh, oh, I can't remember the dish, but I'm, I'm just savoring it right now. Whatever it was, it was glorious. We ate it. We're, we're geared up. And we're walking out because Oak Lawn, there's parks and stuff. But I realized that they're setting up for something. And I realized the street's closed off and there's cones and people are starting to slowly fill some of the areas. And it was, first weekend was Pride Parade down there. And this guy's walking toward us and he's in a cowboy hat and chaps, which, which is kind of normal for Texas, I guess. <laughs> he's walking down the street and the next thing I know, my wife grabs my hand because she's looking at the guys he passes by us and we realize he's wearing nothing under the chaps. 
And I realized I'm, I'm not in North Dallas. Like, I'm not in the suburbs where I grew up. I'm, this is just a different area. And, uh, and, and I was wrestling with the Lord. Like, God, I, I don't want to be down here. I don't have a heart for this. I have friends that have hearts for this community. After we moved down there, I got hit on regularly. Like, like I was an item. I'd go to the coffee shop. And, uh, you know, some dude starts striking up a conversation. And I know where he wants this thing to go. It was, it was interesting to see who would come into this area looking to pick up someone. And it was awesome to minister to a lot of those guys. But I just didn't want to be down there. This is the point. And as I was wrestling with the Lord, the Lord, I had a conversation with him. I said, God, I, I, I feel like you found the wrong person. And, and the Lord spoke this phrase to me so clearly. He said, son... Um, I didn't call you down here to minister to people. I said, well, what'd you call me down here for? And he said, I called you down here first to minister to me. And, and that phrase was mildly offensive to me at the time because I'm like, you're, you're, you're God. Like I wrote it down, ministry to the Lord. You, you don't need ministry. You don't have needs. You're omniscient. You're... you're you're God. Like we minister together. We minister to people. And he didn't speak anything else. So being a good Church of Christ kid, I went to my Bible and I'm like, Lord, where's this in the Bible? And sure enough, it's all over the Bible. <laughs> that oftentimes in the modern translations, uh, the word ministry to the Lord is, is translated as worship. But but I began to realize that, that my prayers, that what we just did, singing to the Lord, it actually moves him. And God was looking for a place in our city where he could build a house for himself. And this ministry to the Lord, as I've grown now over the last 14 years, it's actually a way to steward a habitation of God's presence. That, that when the Lord is tended to, when you look through the Old Testament, when you look through scriptures, it's a place where the Holy Spirit resides. Yes, he lives in us individually, but he also dwells among us. And so I started to come alive in the place of prayer when I realized that prayer is a vehicle and it's a means to the person. I stopped praying for God to do things and I started praying expecting him to show up. And what we started doing as teams, because some young adults actually bought into this vision, we started gathering and we would start critiquing our times with the Lord. Like, did he come? When did he come? And when he came, did he stay? And when he stayed, why did he stay? And, and when you sang that, I actually felt like he left. Like we'd have these hard, like constructive conversations around ministering to the Lord because no one was coming. And it was like the mandate there. And, and I realized as I got stripped from all of my qualifications and all of my strategies and preferences that this place that was a church planting graveyard was actually a graveyard that he buried the church planter in. And he started to resurrect something in me that I didn't have a grid for. And it was that my primary purpose 
and my primary ministry. And I want to propose to you tonight that your primary purpose and your primary ministry isn't to minister to people, but your primary ministry is first to minister to the Lord. First Peter 2 calls us a royal priesthood. The word for ministering to the Lord was first used in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 8, when God reserves this people that he birthed, literally. He birthed them out of slavery, led them into the wilderness, and it was so that they would worship him. It was that he would have a people that would be his possession. And, and he said, set aside this specific group of people Everyone else can have an inheritance, but this group of people, they're going to minister to me and I will be their inheritance. I'm going to let them come near to me because I'm going to dwell with you. The, the, the distinguishing mark of the church, the distinguishing mark of Acts chapter 2 is that the heavens ripped open and the Holy Spirit was poured out. No one would have followed the disciples. They all betrayed him. There was no qualifications that they had except God fell upon a prayer meeting. That's what started all of this. And I feel in our hour, this hour that's desperate, this hour where there are more questions than answers, the complexities outside of these walls are crazier than ever in my life. And in this room, it has to get simple. In this room, it's got to get pure. In this room, it's got to get clear. In this room, it has to be about this one. Because when he's present, you can have conversations that you can't out there. There's an atmosphere where the spirit of truth actually convicts hearts. In those early days of, of once, once this thing set and people started buying into it to some degree, like... Like, hey, we're, 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 we're here first to minister to the Lord. That, that language started happening. Like, I remember, I remember, you know, just my church wiring and, and the way that I'm wired is to gather people. The way that I'm wired is to, like, let's make it palatable. Let's, let's, let's reach people. And I remember a staff member came up to me. Well, we didn't even have staff. It was a volunteer that should have been on staff and wasn't paid. But she said, hey, I, I think, I think some families are leaving because you're worshiping a little too long. It was just, you know, we did like an hour worship. And I was like, okay, l l let me pray about it. Like, I really want to, I really want to think through that. Like, let's, let's pray about it. I'm sitting with the Lord. I'm like, Lord, I don't think people understand ministering to you. <laughs> and they're leaving. <laughs> and I, I, I heard the phrase, well, their names aren't in the songs. Like, and it was tender. It wasn't, it wasn't but, but what he was saying is, is, is that that's actually for me. This is for us. What I'm doing now is for us. But we, what we did before I got up here, that's for him. That's for him. That's about him. That touches him. It moves him, which is fascinating that little you move big him. Little you, he bends his ear. Oh, wait a second. Victory Wednesday Midweek, they're calling upon me. What? You you move him. You 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 move him. He, he's provoked by you saying, and I throw up my hands and I and na, 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 na. I can never remember worship lyrics. But he's moved by you. He's moved by you. 
He's, he's, he's touched. It blesses him. And, and, and I, so this theme of ministering Lord, I'm like, I'm like, ministering Lord, okay, the priest did it, but that's old covenant. Like, I got a great high priest in heaven. His name's Jesus. Like, that's old. The veil's been ripped. And, and I found it again. It's, 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 it's really throughout. But Acts chapter 13, crazy moment in Acts 13, verse 1. It says this in, in, well, one describes who's there. It says there were apostles, prophets, teachers, and some, some, some men. But in verse 2, look at this. It says, now this is, this is the translation where it says, while they were worshiping. But, but the OG, OG, King James, New King James, OG style, says, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. Look at what this environment provides. As they're ministering to the Lord and fasting, which you're about to do. I don't know if Paul's called a fast. I'm not calling a fast. Eat all you want, but come to the prayer room over the next 48 hours. But, but look at this. Look, look, at, look at what this does. This ministry to the Lord. The Lord is inhabited upon the what? Praises of his people. So, so they're, they're ministering to the Lord and the Lord is present. It's not ethereal. It's not like, oh, yeah, that's a good song. No, no, it's unto something. It's unto someone. And he's present in Acts 13 at Antioch. And because they're ministering to him, they're taking time. I don't know if it was a day or days, but they're tending to the Lord. They're praying and they're ministering. And there's an environment where the leadership of the Holy Spirit speaks. The leadership of the Holy Spirit comes through. As they're ministering to the Lord and fasting, and look at what the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, which praise God for this prayer meeting because we wouldn't be in this room if this didn't happen because Paul is going to be sent from this activity of ministering to the Lord. People are like, what about evangelism? What about the lost? I think this is unto actually the great harvest. This is the fuel for that vehicle. But as they're ministering to the Lord, as they're, as they're loving on him and fasting, the Holy Spirit, the Lordship of the Spirit, comes into the room and says, set apart these two, for they're going to go and preach the Gospels to the Gentiles. That's powerful. We need the Holy Spirit. We need a fresh revelation of the Holy Spirit. Like, like Genesis, Genesis 3.8 is a verse that gets me. I'm, I'm going to hop into my main text here in a sec. But Genesis 3.8 is a verse that gets me. I, I've, I, I'm retaking some seminary classes right now. Just I won't get into that, but retaking some seminary classes. And my first seminary class was this, this book. It's a, doing a survey of the Old Testament. And my first chapter was about midway through, and the, the title of the chapter was called, called God's City Temple. I'm like, that's interesting. And it's about Genesis 1 and 2. And this guy, this theologian's making the case, which I had never heard anyone make, that God created the earth and specifically Eden, not primarily for man, but for himself. That, the, that, the, that creation was first a sanctuary for God. And that Adam and Eve were priests to him. What? What? What, what, what does that reveal? It, it reveals the design, reveals the desire of the creator. And so in Genesis 3, 8, get this. He who is everywhere shows up somewhere. It says he came in the coolness of the day to the garden. 
which means God manifested himself for communion with Adam and Eve. Now, I get the omnipresence. You can't get away from the Lord, but there are certain times that he's especially present. And our acknowledgement of that is really, really important. Uh, David was a man after God's own heart. He built uh, probably one of the most extravagant um, centers for worship, David's tent, David's tabernacle. It's not talked about a ton. But he wanted, his, his deepest desire, Psalms 132 is a great psalm to read. It's about building a resting place on the earth. It's a vow that David made. And um, I was going to go there and teach through this, but I felt the Lord lead me just to another text I'm going to get to in a second. But let me, let me hit this on David. D- David builds a cart for the ark. The ark is the token representation of the presence of God. So at the time, the ark had been stowed away in a barn. It wasn't even in the holiest of holies. And David stands up in 1 Chronicles chapter 13, verse 3, and he says, listen, this is what's going to mark my kingship. We're going to go after the ark, for we forsook it in the days of Saul. We're going to put the presence of God back at the center. And you know what happens? He builds this cart. He puts Uzzah and Ohio next to it, and the cart gets disturbed, and the ark starts to fall. Uzzah reaches up, and he's killed instantly. Crazy. So this is what that tells me is you can have the right desire, but the wrong order. And so Obed-Edom gets the ark. Interestingly enough, Obed-Edom is a Gentile. This is Romans chapter 11. Because Obed-Edom's house is extremely blessed and it's provoking, I think, jealousy in David. This was my idea. The ark is in Obed-Edom's home. He's being blessed. What's the deal? It actually says in 1 Chronicles chapter 13, verse 11, that David was angry. And he had this one question, how can I build a house for the Lord? It was frustrating to him. So for three months, he goes on a journey. He builds him a house in that three months. But then in 1 Chronicles chapter 15, he comes out and he goes, whoa, 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 I found it. We need to get the Levites, Deuteronomy 10.8, those that were ministering to him. We need to get the Levites for they are to minister to the Lord now and forevermore. And if you read 1 Chronicles chapter 15, the description of the Levites, they're all musicians. They're all singers. Why are they musicians and singers? Because David tapped into something that was a desire of God. Revelation 4, 5 says around the thrones, there's harps. What are harps? Musical instruments. There's something about music that moves him. So, I love music, I love production, but some of you are musicians and singers in this room, and you need to know that your gift is not primarily for people, your gift is actually for the Lord. And there's a lot of creatives that that haven't been given room and space to really minister to the Lord. Our worship leaders are are known now globally, like we we didn't do media for a long time, uh, the Lord was really clear, don't mark the building, don't come up with a strategy, just pray. And uh, in 2017, he told us to get a YouTube channel. It's a long story that I'm not going to share in full, but we got a YouTube channel, and in August of 2017, our uh, third moment, our first one went viral. It was pretty nuts, like how all that happened. We were just giving people a window into our culture, which is just ministering to the Lord. And our third moment was a spontaneous moment after I preached. I called Alyssa Smith up, and she uh, is one of our worship leaders. And that week, in an empty room, she was singing to the Lord, ministering to him. I think her brother might have been in their prayer leading, but they got around this uh, revelation about, um, I think it was the one where, uh, is it Elijah that's surrounded by the angels? Pastor Paul, thank you. Elijah, surrounded by the angels, gives them eyes to see that they're actually surrounded. And so she had been singing this song 
And, and so I was like, I preached this fiery message on the blood of Jesus, and I said, hey, come up and just sing over what the Lord's doing in the room. And she told the band the key, and she breaks out into this song. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is how I fight my battle. This is how I fight my battle. First time it had been sung corporately was a spontaneous deal where she just told him the key. 16 words long. We sing it for 20 minutes as we often do most songs. And Michael W. Smith calls us three days later. He says, I heard this on YouTube. I want it to be on my next album. I'm going to call it Surrounded. We're missing a song. We thought this was it. My point in sharing all that is that this ministry to the Lord, this 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 Levitical call that some of you have in this room. We're all priests. We all have a Levitical bent. We don't need to go look for the tribe of Levi and put them in a room like this. We all carry this in our hearts, but we are hardwired to minister to him. We are hardwired to love him. And that's where I want to end. Jesus was asked, what's the, because I would also put ministry to the Lord uh, right parallel with this phrase. And in, uh, in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus was asked a question, a really important question. He was asked, uh, what's the greatest commandment? This is God gonna answer the question for mankind, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus doesn't mince words. He's like, I'll tell you exactly what it is. First and foremost, you're to love God. Amen. Secondly, you're to love people. Love God, love people. But here's what I've seen in my own life, and I'm sure you can relate, is oftentimes, I love God by doing things for God. I love God by loving people. I love God based on different expressions of that. But if my marriage was that way, I would have a wonky marriage. I love my wife. My wife isn't in this room. I can tell you that I love her. But last night is the holiest of holies at the Miller household because it's date night. And date night is when I love my wife. I know what she likes. I know what food she likes. We go to the Hudson house, she gets a tuna salad, I get the fish tacos, and she likes fish tacos too, so I get both of those for her. Then we go to TCBY, because she loves TCBY. White mousse, white chocolate mousse, something, I'm not a big ice cream guy, but she gets it herself, and she sits there, and then we just, just talk to me, baby, what do you want to talk about? It's her love language, quality time, conversations. I mean, for me, I take her to the golf course, like that's how she loves me but I know how to love my wife. My point is loving my wife looks like something. It's specific and it's direct to her. And this ministry to the Lord, guys, this ministry to the Lord, it, 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 actually, it actually provokes those that don't know how to love the Lord. When they walk into an environment where people are loving the Lord, where there's a culture of ministering to and loving the Lord, and, and it's unified in what we're doing, I think the lost are extremely attracted to that because they were actually designed to love him. I've seen more people saved in the 60th minute of worship because the Holy Spirit is so present that we just have to introduce him to the one that's in the room. I remember in Oak Lawn, once this thing sat, um, there, was a, there was a dude that was in the homosexual community and he had gotten sovereignly born again in his, own, in his room. And uh, in his apartment. And he was talking to a friend about, I don't really want to go to church, but I feel like I have a relationship with God. Where should I go to church? And they go, hey, there's a church actually in Oak Lawn. You should attend it. And so this was a pride parade. 
Sunday, which was always like Super Bowl Sunday for us as a church. We had windows on the first floor and we're worshiping and just, it's crazy what goes on outside. And uh, I thought the Lord was coming. (laughs) Is that my cue? Do I need to land this puppy? Um, So, so, so it's Super Bowl Sunday, Pride Parade, we preach the gospel, and this guy's kind of hovering around people talking to me, and I finally, I was like, hey man, do you want to talk to me? He goes, yeah, I want to talk to you. He introduces himself, he goes, I just want you to know my story. I was like, well, okay. He goes, three months ago, uh, I was in the homosexual lifestyle, but God encountered me in my room. I grew up, I was hurt by the church, and for the last, I think like 15 years, he had been in the lifestyle. He said a year ago, one year ago, I was in the parade. And I didn't know this about pride parades, but they have a pageant for drag queens. And they vote on them and there's cash awards and money. And this was one of the ways he made a living was traveling to parade places. He said, if you said my name out there, people would know me. I was like, well, what are you doing here? He said, well, I gave my life to Jesus and I didn't know where to go and someone told me about this church. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. Well, what have you experienced? He goes, well, my favorite part is when you sing. Okay. He goes, I sit in the corner. And when y'all start worshiping, when y'all start singing, I feel like someone's giving me a hug. He said, I don't know if you have a ministry for someone like me, but you need to know that I'm a part of your church. And I said, we have a ministry for you. We do it every day. You sit in that corner and just let us sing. Let us minister to him because the one hugging you is the Holy Spirit. He's revealing Jesus to you. And he's been, he was discipled in the place of prayer. It's a fascinating testimony. Um, so let me give you, uh, can I just have like five more minutes? Is that cool? Pastor Paul. All right, hey, I'm, uh, hey, I'm going to give you, this one's worth the trip. All right? I'm going to give you uh, the clearest example that I see in the New Testament of first love. So your life, when you stand before the Lord, this is the importance of this message. When you stand before the Lord and you give an account of how you've stewarded your life, we need to hear Jesus' words. The greatest thing, the greatest measurement is your love for him. Now, you need the Holy Spirit's help. You need community. There's a number of ways we do that. I'm not just limiting it to this one thing, but I do want to show you what I see being the clearest example of first love in the New Testament, and it's Luke chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles, we'll make this meeting official. We'll go to Luke chapter 7. Y'all love the Bible. I do too. So I see this as as a uh, dichotomy. And it's a dichotomy um, in the church today. And I see two two parties engaging the Lord in Luke chapter 7. It's verse 36. Uh, Simon wanted to host a party. And so in verse 36 of Luke 7, um, it says, one of the Pharisees asked to eat with him. My my translation says it was requesting him. So they, they sent out an invitation to Jesus, and they wanted... They wanted Jesus to actually come and eat in his home. Now, I think 
I think this guy had a pure intention. I think he wanted to know the Lord. I think we give the Pharisees sometimes a hard time, but I think he genuinely wanted to know. People were saying this is a prophet, he has a ministry, but I want him to come to my table and I wanna get to know him. I wanna inquire of him myself. And you know what's beautiful about Jesus is he always shows up when asked. And so Jesus shows up at Simon's house. I think he showed up at the right time. I think he showed up to the right address. I think, I think he, he walked in and honored all the house protocols. I think Simon had an itinerary. I think Simon had a plan, dinner. There, maybe there were courses. I'm sure he had friends over. And, and he probably put Jesus in the place of honor and the meal is ensuing. But someone else heard that Jesus was near. And in verse 37, it says, there was a woman in the city and when she, she was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table at the Pharisee's house, she made a plan. And her plan was to bring an alabaster vial of perfume and anoint his feet. And so she wasn't invited, but she knew Jesus, she was in proximity with Jesus and she did whatever she could to get to him. Now, when she crashes the party, she stands behind his feet in verse 38 and she begins to weep and wet his feet with her tears. She kept wiping them with her hair. She began kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. So she crashed the party and the first thing these people would have heard, or maybe, maybe the first thing they would have known is that they actually smelled something. I don't know if they heard the weeping, heard the kissing, or heard the smell of the oil. But she's not concerned about the dinner party, she's concerned about Jesus being in proximity to Jesus. And, and this, this approach to Jesus, in verse 39, the one who had invited him saw this, and it provokes a conversation internally. And her approach to Jesus forces the Pharisee, or forces the person near Jesus, to question what he knows about Jesus. Because her approach to him was different than his. Has that ever happened to you in worship? And he says to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is and that she's touching him and that she's a sinner. Now, I, I don't know his reasoning and, and what, why he was saying that. I think he was probably saying that because of what his friends would have thought of him. But Simon's offended and he's offended at this woman and now he's offended at Jesus for not stopping her from approaching him the way that she is. And Jesus is wonderful, lovely, tender, and he gives Simon this parable. And it's a parable about uh, forgiveness. And I'm not gonna get too deep into the parable, but it's basically, you know, if one's forgiven a little, one's forgiven a lot, lot then, then the one forgiven more will love more. But in verse 44, I wanna highlight this. After he says this parable to him, Jesus turns to the woman. And he said to Simon, he said, do you see this woman? <laughs> it's a silly question. But the truth is, Simon didn't actually see her. And he's going to show Simon what he saw that Simon could not. And he said this, he said, I entered your house. Say your house. I entered your house at your invitation. And you gave me no water for my feet but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. 
Verse 45, you gave me no kisses. But since the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. What is Jesus saying to Simon? Jesus was saying to Simon, I was ready to receive all of those things from you, but you didn't offer them. And I honored you and your posture towards me, but I will not refuse her because it's what I desire. What, what, what are the, think about tears. What are tears? It's her pain. It's her heartache. It's specific what she gave. It's her brokenness. It's probably the shame and guilt and she, she, she lays it all upon him. Her kisses, she gives him affection. You know, God is an affectionate God. Your emotions are great servants. They're great indicators at times. We're not led by our emotions, but I think in the presence of the Lord, your emotions can serve you. Remember, I met a guy who had been coming to prayer. He was dragged to the upper room because his family thought it was the coolest thing ever, but he was like, this is actually the weirdest place ever. But he came because his kids were coming alive in God. And, um, and, and over time, he got acclimated to it, and he came up to me about a year in, and he goes, can I talk to you? And I said, yeah, you can talk to me. What do you want to talk about? He goes, I've been coming to your prayer sets on Sunday, and I'm learning how to minister to the Lord and love him, and I want to thank you for something. I said, what? He goes, I found my tears in this room. He goes, I haven't been able to cry for 20 years, but every time I walk into this place, I start crying, and it's the most liberating thing. And as he was sharing that, I started crying, and he started crying. <laughs> he got unlocked internally. The oil, that's, our, that's, our, that's our, our treasures. Put those at his feet. And look at Jesus, what Jesus says in, uh, in verse 47. He says, for this reason, what reason? That she brought these things to me. She didn't hold back. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much. Who is she loving? She's loving Jesus. She's loving Jesus. And guess what she needed? She needed what only she could receive from Jesus. And she doesn't say anything throughout this story. She doesn't ask for anything. She simply gives. And here's the beauty is when you start giving to the Lord, you're actually positioning yourself to receive. You're not going to outgive him. And so she needed forgiveness. And she gets exactly what she needs by posturing her heart in this place. And what I've learned in environments where ministry to the Lord is happening is that the Lord has the ability to meet needs way better than I can. If she needed healing, I think she, he would have said, be healed. If she needed deliverance, I think she would have said deliverance. But the story says that she was a sinner and she needed forgiveness. She got exactly what she needed at that place. And they're provoked. You know, the Pharisees had some other things to say about Jesus, but I just think this is the clearest picture of someone that postured themselves in the place of ministering to and loving Jesus. 2 Corinthians 11.3, it says, I'm afraid that some of you have been deceived as Eve was by the serpent, and it's, it's just talking about being, being distracted, and, and, and Paul calls him back to this place. He says, he says, you need to return to the simplicity and purity of devoting yourself to Jesus Christ. 
And I, I, I feel, I feel so strongly about what you're entering into the next 48 hours. N- not necessarily because of, of, of what is going to come out of the prayers that you pray, although there will be fruit from your prayers. But I feel so strongly that I know Paul walks all over this place. I'm on his Instagram. I can walk pretty much anywhere I want. I've seen you in the rafters. What I love about the next 48 hours here is that, is that this worship and ministry that we're entering into, it's for him. It's the tears, kisses, and oil. We're going we're gonna to bestow upon him those things. I, I believe one of the things the Lord is looking for on the earth today is a resting place. He lives in many, but I believe he rests in few. There's many churches in our nation, and I think he attends them like he attended Simon's dinner party. We have a seat for him. We serve good food. We're on a time schedule, and it, it, it's pretty and cute. And I think he shows up and comes. But I think there's a bride emerging that looks more like the woman at his feet, weeping, kissing, and breaking open her oil. It's messy. It's messy. It's messy. It's messy. Oil, messy. Tears, messy. I'm sure there was snot. Kisses. It, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was an offering to him. And I believe the end time bride is being allured into the bridal chamber. And there's a first love that's awakening and the spirit inside the bride is crying out for the bridegroom. It's a Maranatha cry. It's the answer to the hour when everything shakes. You know, Jesus said in in Matthew 8, he said, he makes this statement, and this is my last statement, I promise. Matthew 8, he says this, he says, um, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. And one of the things that we do with that is we're like, well, Jesus was a nomad, he was homeless. Jesus, Jesus moved from town to town and he was a man of few means and lived a vow of chastity or whatever. And I'm, I'm fine. You can interpret it all that. But I think there's a deeper revelation in that. Because if Genesis 1 and 2 was the first resting place, and Revelation 21 and 22 says that the tabernacle of God is coming to the earth, Jesus is going to restore his home. That's where this is heading. But there's another scripture. This is, this is, you ready for your mind to go emoji head blown coming up watch this the word for lay my head lay your head lay his head it's clino in the Greek it's only used twice I believe in the gospels one is in Mark 8 where he says I have no place to clean my head but the other time that it's used it's John 19.30 John 19.30 are Jesus' final words on the earth He's hanging on the cross. And before he breathes his last breath, he says, it is finished. And immediately, same verse, same thought line. It says, he clean his head. 
that the one who had no place to lay his head rested his head on the finished work of the cross. And the work of salvation, the work of salvation in us is that we are now the body of Christ. And I think the body of Christ is looking for places that he can rest his head. That we boast in what he has provided. We celebrate what he's given us. But one of the expressions of the gospel is that we build geographical locations, lives, families, but communities that are marked by the presence of the Lord and ministering to him. And this next 48 hours, I think it is so central to what God's doing on the earth. There are prayer rooms popping up and, 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 and not even prayer rooms, it, it all has a lens, but the house of prayer is emerging in the church. That's how he said his house would be defined because I think it's the way that he abides and rests upon a people. For where two or more are gathered, there he is. And so I wanna pray for you. I wanna pray that if things have gotten complicated, if things have gotten like confusing, trying to find purpose, I feel like tonight, this is so central to your purpose. It's so central to your design and wiring that you were created to behold the face of the Lord, to gaze upon this beautiful man. David said, one thing I ask, this is what I seek, to behold your beauty. There's something that is consuming about this. If you get a little taste, you have to have more. And I wanna pray for fresh hunger for those. If, if, you, if you have not had a hunger in your prayer life, if you haven't had a hunger or you felt dry when it comes to the presence of the Lord, would you stand to your feet? I wanna pray for you. And I wanna pray that the Lord would just stir up fresh affection, fresh desire for him. And then I wanna pray for musicians and singers. <clears throat> All right, someone standing up near you, would you just lay hands on them? Let's be the body of Christ for a second. Just lay hands on them. And on the count of three, I want you to pray out loud. And we're going to pray, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be satisfied that the Lord would quicken hunger, that it would be a gift from him, that he would initiate fresh hunger tonight. So one, two, three, let's just pray. Bless these guys, Lord, in Jesus' name. Pray out loud. Let them hear you. Holy Spirit, move in this room. Stir up hunger. Stir up affection. Stir up desires, Lord. Lord, would you set the one thing before their hearts? Would you set your face before all things? Would you put a burn in their heart, a fresh ache in their heart? Holy Spirit, awaken the groans, awaken desire, awaken love inside of them, Lord. We need a grace to love you. We need a grace to pursue you, Lord. It's not in our own strength. So we surrender today and we say, Lord, here's my heart, fill it. Here's my heart, mark it. Here's my heart, let your zeal touch my heart. Fresh zeal, Lord, in Jesus' name. Fresh encounters in Jesus' name. Even dreams, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would mark your people with fresh hunger and fresh desire for you. Fresh delight. Fresh delight. Even when you open up the pages of the word, Lord, would you make your word like honey to their lips? I pray, Holy Spirit, just a fresh wind in Jesus' name. A fresh wind in Jesus' name. All right, now, if we just prayed for you, I want you to lift your hands and I want you to pray for yourself. And I want you to say, Lord, thank you for giving me a fresh hunger. Thank you for stirring up a fresh desire. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you're gonna help me love you. Thank you, Jesus. And if there's tears, give him tears. If there's kisses, give him kisses. 
Just open up your heart before him. Have a real conversation with him. Lord, I'm present and I'm here and I desire to love you. I desire to pursue you in fresh ways. Would you just release a grace, Father, in Jesus' name? Thank you, Lord. Hey, if you're a musician or singer, would you stand up? I want to pray for musicians and singers and creatives. If you fit in the creative world and realm, a bunch of young people. We have ORU students here. Can, can we lay hands on this group over here? I just feel real significant. The girl in the red and the girl in the orange. Just pray, Holy Spirit. Lord, mark them with a heart like Mary, God. Mark them with a heart like Mary, just to be found at your feet, Lord. Lord, to be found at your feet, to be found at your feet in Jesus' name to be found at your feet, oh God. God, mark them. Mark them with songs. Mark them, Lord, with sounds. Lord, every musician and creative in this room, we pray for fresh sounds and songs, that victory would be known for the sound, that there's a, there's a sound in the family. There's a sound in this family. There's a sound that's gonna come forth that's going to mark families. In Jesus' name, Lord, would you mark every songwriter, every worship leader, Lord? Lord, would you pour out your spirit that releases creativity and releases expressions, Father, of words and sounds and stories and books. Holy Spirit, may this be an incubator, God, of creativity, Lord, for you, to you, from you, by you, in Jesus' name, Lord. For those that have felt rejected and not received by the church, I just ask that you would offer forgiveness and that you would re-ante and just say, Lord, this is actually for you. I'm not gonna let them steal it. In Jesus' name, mark fresh bezalils, Lord, those that are given gifts, Lord, just to express creativity in Jesus' name. Fresh songs, fresh sounds. Would you just sing a song to the Lord? If you're a singer, worship leader, just sing with this music. Just release a fresh song, a new song to the Lord. We just declare your goodness and your mercy, O oh God. Heal hearts, Lord, where they've been wounded, where they've been closed off and thought that they don't fit in. Lord, there's plenty of room at this table. In Jesus' name, make a greenhouse in Tulsa, God. Pour out your spirit here, we pray. It's just a singularity of vision, Lord, to see you rightly in Jesus' name. Singers and musicians, raise your hand one more time. Raise them high. If someone's around you, would you just lay hands one more time on these guys? Just feel like the Lord is releasing an oil and an anointing. Thank you, Lord. Just song, 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 songs. My eight-year-old wrote a song last night. She's just really this creative little butterfly. She sits in her room and writes songs to Jesus. She's like, can you help me with this bridge, Dad? I'm like, I'm not a songwriter. But I'm telling you, I feel like the Holy Spirit, there's something emerging in the church with creative arts. And I think this place, I'm just sensing, I'm just sensing there's, there's a calling for a creative expression to communicate the gospels. It's not just in song. I feel like it could be even in uh, theater and plays and, and screenwriting. I just sense Holy Spirit that there's even documentaries, God, would you just raise up Father, a creative, I see online, there's a mission field. There's a mission field. Some of you are evangelists, but you're called to be evangelists through media. And it's a creative anointing. It's not 
It doesn't always fit in the four walls of the church, but I just see the Lord affirming and confirming, saying, this is how I designed you. This is one of the ways I am assigning you to be a missionary, a digital missionary almost, a creative missionary. Lord, release these things in Jesus' name. Release creative, original ideas, Father, that the world looks at and they come to know you, Father, in Jesus' name. I just, just pray what you've been experiencing. Just give it to us. Don't. Jesus. God, you designed us to burn for you. God, it's our nature to burn for you, Lord. There's a void in every human, God, that only you can fill. Jesus, would you make us aware of that again, God? Would you reawaken that desire in us, Lord? Would you light the fire, God? I thank you, Lord, that it's not on us. Lord, it's not on us to author our own desire, Lord, but you're the one who authors desire in us, Jesus. Lord, that is your pursuit of us that inspires us to pursue you, Lord. That we love because you loved first. I just feel Psalm 63. Psalm 63 says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. God, that's our heart, Lord. Would you author that in us, Lord? Would that be the basis with which, from which we operate, God? Being thirsty for you, Lord. I just put your hand on your heart. I, I sense the Lord uh, just putting a holy ache in the best of senses in your heart. Just an ache and a love sick. Just, God, I, I'm, I'm lovesick for you. I love you. Lord, that first desire, Lord, the priority of our lives. Lord, I just sense the, the plumb line of your love for us, through us, back to you. God, would you, would you put a burn in the hearts of your people? Lord, that you said that you have fire in your eyes because there's a fire in your heart. And would you put that fire inside hearts right now? You're a jealous God. You're an all-consuming fire. And I pray, Lord, just for fresh fire on the altar of every heart. Lord, an incense of sorts, fresh oil, Lord, upon their hearts. In Jesus' name, Lord, you're filling up their lamps with oil. Oil. Oil of intimacy. Oil, Lord. Oil, Lord. Oil, Lord. Oil of intimacy, Jesus. You, you, you are putting that upon hearts, Lord. Lord, if hearts need to be broken, I pray that you would just gently break them, Lord. That where they've been hardened, where they've been, 
where they've been closed off, where unbelief has set in, I pray that your oil right now would soften hearts. Lord, that you would open hearts up. I just see the Holy Spirit like just slowly penetrating into hearts. And, and some of you have, it's like the, 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 the hardness of life has hardened your heart. And I just see him tending to it with oil. Saying, I want you to have a soft heart before me. I want you to have a soft heart, a heart of belief, a heart, a heart of love, a heart that adores, a heart that sees, a heart that hears. And today that you wouldn't harden your hearts, that your voice, oh God, would be like fresh bread to the, the weary soul, Lord. In Jesus' name, this is a word for you to eat from my hand. I'm calling you back to me. I'm calling you into my arms. I'm calling you to simply receive from me again what only I can give you. I am your first love. You are my first love. We were made to love one another. Me loving you and you loving me. Would you look at me? Would you fix your eyes upon me? Would you let the love in my eyes penetrate your heart? Behold me, my beloved. I love you. I love you. I'm for you. I'm in you and I'm with you. I know when you sit. I know when you rise. I know the number of hairs on your head. I declare you are the apple of my eye. You are my beloved. I love you. I sent my son for you. I have given you all that you need. And I'm asking you just to receive my love, to abide in my love, to simply be before me. I will sing over you. I will dance over you. I will whisper to you. I want you to receive me as I've received you. You and me and me and you, we are one. There's nothing separating us. There's nothing, there's no distance between us. I'm the father that waited on the porch. I'm the shepherd that went after the one. I'm the one that sent my son. I draw near to the brokenhearted. When you draw near to me, I draw near to you. Let me kiss you with the kisses of my word. Let me bestow upon you my affections. Let me bestow upon you my kisses. Let me bestow upon you my oil. And I ask for the same in return. Oh, that you would give me those things. Lord, awaken first love again. Awaken bridal love. Awaken, Lord, a lovesick bride, Lord, that will, that will wait and tarry, that will, that will, that will have an ache at our workplaces and in our cars, Lord, there's just this ache, this lovesick groan for our beloved one. Find us at your feet, Lord. Let us choose the better thing. Oh, you're going to do great things for me. But the things you do for me come as you sit before me. So come back into my arms. Learn to minister to me. Learn to love me. Learn to tend to me. I want to give you my burdens. I want to share my secrets. I just sense some of you are intercessors, and, and, and I feel like the Lord is saying that the intercessors are coming out of the closet, that he's taking the intercessors out of the closet, 
that it's not just a closet ministry, although it is a closet that you find me in, but I feel like he's gathering intercessors and he's gathering Levites and he's gathering those that are called to minister to him. I'm marking you. You're needed in this hour. You're needed in this hour. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you for what you're building in this place. Thank you for the grace on this house, Lord, to express this word as only it can. Thank you for Paul. Thank you for the leadership. Paul, I just sense the Lord's delight in you. I sense the Lord's delight in your heart and the purity of your heart. And, and I, I saw the integrity, the integrity. I think of Psalm 78, this scripture just hit me, where, where he plucked David from the sheep fields. And he, he plucked him out of the sheep fields to shepherd his people. And it said, David did with integrity in his heart and skillful hands. And I know that you are skilled but I sense the Lord just honoring the purity of your heart. And I hear the Lord, I hear this phrase that he's going to make you a statesman. And, and I, I, I feel like there's coming a line that you're going to draw. And you're going to be, it's not, I think it's going to affect like on a governmental level. But, but I feel like the, it's a play on words, statemen. You're, you're going to state what the Lord's stating. You're his state man. You're going to state the things that he's saying. There's a spirit of truth and, and a, a line that you're going to bring with some cultural truths that need to be said. And he's going to anoint you as a voice in our nation to be a statement, to be one that states the things that need to be stated. That, that there's statements and lines and truths that he's going to mark you with. That and it's the integrity. It's what he's found in you that's going to that's gonna bring it through you. And, and you're going to need these intercessors, these, 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 these refugees, these, these places of refuge. You're a man of war. Like I see God calling you into the place of, of battling with the sword of the spirit. But it's spirit and sword. It's the sword of the spirit. And I just, just sense there's, there's a page turning and, and a... a, a there's a new chapter coming for your voice. And it's not that you're going to say things differently. He's just going to anoint it with fresh authority to say what you've been saying. But I just hear him saying, you're my statement. You're my statement. You're going to make statements for me. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.